Hi, this is Michael Shapiro, and this is the Delacorte Review Podcast, where we talk about real true stories and how they happen. Five years ago, when she was a journalism student, Irene Nawoye reported and wrote a story about the short life of a young woman whose love of longboarding, a particular sort of skateboarding, had cost her her life. Irene wrote the story and thought she was done, only to discover that she couldn't let go of this young woman who she had never met and whose story would remain alive and present, very much a part of her life. So it was that five years later, Irene found that she still needed to tell it. Irene Woye, how does it come to be that you write about longboards and specifically about a young woman who loved longboards so much that she died doing it? Yes, it was my first year at the journalism school, and I was a student in Dilma Harridge's class. I was teaching literary documentary at the time. And the first assignment was for us to obviously find a topic to cover for the semester that we're going to write a long-form story on. So that was that was the toughest part for me. It was just because I was new to the country. I'd just come in from Nigeria. And for me, like finding topics in a completely strange environment was just really challenging. So I went online. I started sifting through different articles. And I, I was looking at New York Times articles, and I stumbled on this story about like the hazards of longboarding. And I was reading about it, and that's when I learned about some of the deaths that had happened. Um, Janelle's death was pretty recent because this was in October 2013. She died October 2nd, 2013, and we're assigned to look for stories like a week or two weeks after. So I stumbled on it, and I, it just got me curious. I decided to read more about it because in Nigeria, I'd watched The Lords of Dogtown. It's a movie about like the California skateboarding culture. So I was just drawn, like, I've always been drawn to that kind of counterculture, you know, like rebels, people who would do the things that I typically wouldn't do, just risk takers in general. You know, so I was drawn to that. So you come across this story about longboarding. Is she prominent in the story or is she just, as you recall, or is she well along? She was prominent because they were mentioning um, the deaths because the story was about the hazards of, of skateboarding. It wasn't even longboarding because at that time I hadn't even, I didn't even know that longboarding was a thing. There's a big difference. The main difference actually is in the wheels. You know, so the wheels that are designed for longboarding are bigger and rounder than the wheels designed for skateboarding are smaller. You know, so longboarding wheels are designed for speed. You know, so it's not necessarily that the boards are long just because it says it's a longboard, quote unquote. It's really the wheels that make that propel the board and make it go that fast. So you discover in the in this in this New York Times story, yes. mention of Janelle and the yes. fact that she is killed yes. just the week or so before, before. Before I was assigned to do this, before we were assigned to look for a topic. So what did you do next? So um, because it was timely, I decided to just research more on just who Janelle was, just learn more about um, the incident itself. I first of all focused on local local publications like the DN- like DNA Info, and Gothamist, some like both of which are now extinct. Um, but yeah, I by doing that research, I I got more in depth information about Janelle and her background and her family, and I also got the address to where she lived in Webster Houses, the projects in the South Bronx. But I think what really caught my attention was just the comment section on the DNA info article. Like people were just really mean. 
really mean. And, About a young woman who died? Yes, you know, because I think in the article they had mentioned, it's just a 700-word article basically stating that this tragic thing had occurred. And the comment section, people were just being very critical that, oh, she had used her, like, money from um, the account that her mom had set up for school supplies. She had used that money to buy the longboard. They just were making fun of her because she was from the projects. So they're just being very dismissive and very and unnecessarily mean. And I didn't understand why, you know. It's just, there was this stereotype because, and also the photos that DNA Info used were, like, photos of her wearing a black hoodie, you know, just stereotyping her in a certain way with those images. And those comments sort of reinforced that stereotype. And that was what propelled me to just focus on her. So what I did next was fortunately, like I said, from reading those local articles, I was able to find her address, just not specifically the apartment she lived in, but just the building itself. When I, I went to the Bronx, I went to the building. Fortunately for me, as you know, serendipity would have it, or so providence would have it, there were people in front of the building discussing what had happened because the laborials were popular in the building. And this tragic That's her thing, family. Yeah, that's her family. And this tragic thing had just occurred, and people went to the funeral about a week before I went there. So I just stumbled upon these people talking about it, and I was like, and I introduced myself. I'm a reporter with the Columbia Journalism School, and I'm trying to tell this story. At first, they were suspicious, you know, they wanted to know what my motives were, but I actually went into detail to explain what I read on DNA Info and how I think there's more to our story than just the stereotypes that are being portrayed online. So they took me up to um, the floor where she lived, and I was able to talk to her neighbor. It was just very, for I was just very fortunate. So you do a short story, but why don't you leave it there? Why do you stay with this? Yes, so that was just a draft, you know, and it just ended up, that was it. Like, you get a grade and you graduate. Like, I wanted it to get published. We didn't really go into Janelle's story. You know, so since then, I've just been doing more reporting and trying to find a home. What is it about Janelle's story that you can't let go of and, or couldn't let go of? For me, it was just, first of all, seeing that single story, like this one-dimensional character that was portrayed on DNA Info. And that sparked the curiosity in me, like, just to show that there are other layers to this character. And when I started reporting, I started seeing all these other layers. They started unraveling, you know, like her sexuality, how she discovered that she was a lesbian as early as middle school, and her mom saw those signs, um, just that she was an advent- she was adventurous, she was a risk taker, but at the same time she was shy. So there was a paradox in that sense in her own personality, you know, and despite the fact that, you know, she was born and raised in this place in the South Bronx, she still had all these aspirations and desires to be more, to go somewhere else, you know, and she attracted other outcasts like herself. You were saying that there's something about communities like this. Yeah. Risk takers that you found really appealing. Yes. Growing up, I was born and raised in a devout Catholic home. So we're the sort of people who just stuck to the norm did what was, you know, conventional and appealing to the community. So me seeing other characters or other people in my world who deviated from the norm was something that was always attractive to me. 
So when I stumbled, <laughs> so when I stumbled on Janelle and I started reporting her story and all these other layers to her personality started unfolding, I I was intrigued, you know. And she wasn't just an outcast; she was a leader. You know, people followed her. Like she would be the one to suggest, "Let's do this, let's do that," and everyone in the group would follow her, you know, and and take her word and heed her advice and trust her. You know, so the, she was always able to find community and, you know, on the fringes of society almost. Yeah. What happened to Janelle? Okay. So this happened on um, October, tw- October 2013, October 2nd, 2013, 7.15 a.m. Janelle is riding her longboard home from a going away party. At 7.15 a.m.? Yes. So It's at dawn. Yes. So usually... Um, whenever she goes out and she's going to st- and she she's going to stay late, her mom encourages her to spend the night at her friend's house just for her own safety. You know, so she had gone for the going away party and she was on her way back home. And so this incident happened at the intersection of Melrose Avenue and East 160th Street in the Bronx, I believe. And it was a school bus that was driving down East 160th Street and trying to make a right turn. And Janelle was coming down Melrose Avenue trying to make a left turn. And then, I, I don't know what, like, we're not clear on the specifics. The school bus driver says he didn't see her. But Janelle's lawyer claims that um, there was a blind spot and he was the one who didn't check to see that Janelle was in that blind spot. You know, So they collided and he ran her over and crushed her. And um, that was what happened that morning, unfortunately. And Janelle passed away. One of the questions that comes up again in the story, again and again, is that, as you said before, when you're riding a longboard, the idea is to go fast. Yes. Do we know whether she was going fast? She was on the bicycle lane, first of all, mm-hmm. which, was, which was her right to be on the bicycle lane. And it was, according to the longboarders who actually went down that route, it's, it wasn't like a, a road that sloped downward. So there's no way she could have been riding fast, obviously. It was a level ground, you know, level terrain. So she would have had to really push hard to go that fast. So I think she was, according to her mentor, she was riding at regular pushing speed, which is 8 to 10 miles per hour. So I don't I don't know. I wasn't there. But these are what the experts with the boards claim. How fast do you know how fast you can go on a long board if you're going really fast? Unfortunately, I don't. But you can go really fast, right? Yes, you can go really fast, faster than a skateboard. And people get hurt a lot, don't they? Oh, yes. Janelle was proud of her scars. Like, she got got hurt a lot. Like, she had so many scars, so many injuries from just being thrown off her board at different times. But this is how you perfect the skill of longboarding. Do we know why she wanted to start? To start longboarding? Mm -hmm. Janelle was, like I said, she was just, she was a curious soul. You know, when she saw something that was interesting, and in this case it was something that was interesting, but it belonged to a specific group of people. It wasn't something that was mainstream. She was instantly drawn to things like that, you know. And I, like I wrote in the story, she had stumbled on this sport through a classmate. She was attending Borough of Manhattan Community College at the time. So one of her classmates showed up with the board, and watching him ride it instantly just made her fall in love with it. You know, she was that kind of person. She had that can-do attitude. Like, she sees something she wants. She's like, I want to do that. How do I get to do that? How open were members of her group to talking with you about her? Were they protective of her? Did they want you 
with, were they open to talking with you? I think what helped me establish um, trust with her friends and family and other loved ones was just having her mom's approval. You know, her mom was like a key figure in building connections with all the other people in her life. So once it was okay with her mom, her friends were open to talking to me. One person led to another person. I was able to connect those dots. And fortunately for me, the Fantastic Four, they all, they met, they all agreed to meet at the same time to have me interview all four of them at once. Who are the Fantastic Four? Um, so these are other Bronxites. They're, they're other people that live in the Bronx, and they're all friends of Janelle, and it's their group of four, three men and Janelle. She, yeah, they all grew up together and went to high school together. A lot of times, writers are always a little bit wary and afraid of talking to someone who's lost somebody close, and especially a parent who's lost a child. Yeah. How worried were you reaching out to the mom? I was very worried, but I was on deadline, so I, I didn't have the luxury of not acting. <laughs> so I, I, I think it's just about being patient and learning to empathize. Well, you make the call, right? And yes, you... I made the call. We scheduled an appointment, and I, I came back to the building. And this time, I was able to go into... I didn't go into her apartment. I went into her friend's apartment, which is just across from hers. And we went in, and you know, we sat down to talk. And it was very different from talking to her now, obviously, because that first time, she was still grief-stricken, and she was still sad. So it took... I was probably there for three hours or so, but I just had to be patient and let her talk at her own pace in her own time. What did she want to talk about? Did she want to talk about the... The longboard is she wants to know about her daughter, who she, what does she want to tell you? I wouldn't say she wanted to talk. I had approached her and said, you know, I'm working on this story, and I really think I want, to, I want to show there's more to your daughter than what's portrayed online and what have you. And she just let me ask her questions. She never offered any information that I didn't ask, you know. In talking to her friends and in talking to her mom, did you get different sides of her, or could you begin to create a whole person who you're writing about somebody who you never met and you yes. could never meet. Yeah. Does she begin to come alive to you? Yes. How so? Um, so it's very interesting like writing about um, people who have unfortunately passed away, you know, having different perspectives, you know. So I think she starts to come alive mostly through her friends, you know, because they get to see all like most of her compared to her mom. Her mom obviously knows her from when she was a kid, but by the moment she's in, she's a teenager and she's in high school, there are certain things that, you know, and her mom just can't keep track of. For instance, her mom didn't know when she started writing poetry. Her mom didn't know when she started painting or why she started doing arts and drawing all these sketches in her notebook. Those are not details that her mom would pay close attention to. But her mom can obviously tell me when she started noticing her sexual orientation, just when she started learning about who she was, you know. And it's different. And her friends also will be the ones who know about her as a longboarder, when she discovered longboarding, why she fell in love with it, the sort of trips and adventures they took together. You know, obviously her mom can't show me that perspective. Did the story, the process of making the story bigger, because mm-hmm. she did the initial the initial version, that was relatively, sh- that was shorter, yeah, right? That was shorter. Right. But this is so much more. How much harder would one would think, well, I have the material, I've written, written a draft, I've had yeah. some feedback on it already. Yeah. But how much harder was it to then do a deeper dive with that much more depth? 
it was very hard, especially with um, reestablishing relationships with your contacts after five, four or five years. You know, because these are people I interviewed them back in 2013. And now that I wanted to go back in and do a deep dive and do more interviews and flesh out the story, I'd have to reach out to them. And obviously, I would expect them to wonder, why are you like you haven't published this story in four or five years? What are you still doing? But did, at the end of the day, you basically had to convince them that I can't let go of this thing. Exactly. As you were going from moving on from that first shorter version that you did, years later to picking up again, was there kind of an animating question that you had coming back to the story that you were working to answer? I think the the question, first of all, which is something that I came up just during the came across during the process of freelancing is why should people care about this character, which is a common thing editors will always ask. Like, why should we care? What draws you to this character? So the first draft of this piece, I didn't have the comments from DNA Info. You know, that hadn't crossed my mind to include. Because I thought, as a writer, that would be my motivation. There wasn't any need to include it in the piece. But then when I started trying to flesh out, like, how can I, why should readers care? You know, why should people get engaged with this character? It then occurred to me that, you know, the same reason why I got engaged with the character is the same reason that I should, is this, you know, it's the same way I should get my readers engaged with this character. And that is? And that is just the stereotypes. You know, that single narrative, that one-dimensional individual, you know, that you think is just this poor person from the projects who just is irresponsible and is just a daredevil and all these negative, negative things. But people realize that there's a flip side to that story. It's just, there's so much more to this person than what you think, you know, and your perceptions are to some degree even false. Do you find that when you're thinking about who is the, who is the story for there's a part of you that would like it to be for the people who wrote those things about her back then. Yeah. Like that's I think they are the audience I hope get to read the story that is being published now. So they know that, you know, you can't just see an art a seven hundred word article online and assume you know someone. You know, you just you, people are just more complex and there's just so much depth to them than that. Do you find that you think about her, even though, again, she's a stranger to you, you have photographs of her. Do you think about her? Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I think about her and I think about that life, you know, and I, I'm always wondering where she would have been now. You know, would she have been in the Air Force like she wanted or been a paramedic? You know, would she have married, you know, her love at the time or her and her friends, would they finally have had an apartment somewhere else in the city? You know, like just getting that kind of resolution to her story, all the things she wanted. That's something I just, I feel sad about. You know, there are certain people one encounters in life who are just like one of those people. Mm. And she, the way you describe her, she sounds like just, she's one of those people. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds like everybody who was in her group felt very much the same way about her. Yeah. But how tricky is it not to present her in a, in a two-dimensional way? Like, she's just great. She's fantastic. <laughs> that you're not do that yeah. the risk of not doing her justice by making her a fully realized person. Yeah, so that's that's the function of the story. That's how you make someone a fully realized person, you know, is you show that complexity to the individual. What are their experiences? How do they touch people's lives? Like I would mention in the story one of the neighbors who 
was like a grandmother to Janelle. You know, like she touched everyone's life in some way. I know that's like a cliche, and a lot of people say that are people who have passed on, but she really did. There's no one in that building who doesn't have some kind of anecdotes about their experience with her and how she tried to force everyone in the building to longboard. You know, like she had this exciting thing, and she wanted everyone to be on the same page with her, to feel what she felt, to do what she did. You know, so she was just, she was a whole character, and I had to bring that to life. Did you worry at times that you wouldn't be able to do it? I did. I did. During the initial stages of the reporting, when I didn't have everything, I was worried. And just being in the J school also, being very busy, I was worried that I would just write a draft for the sake of getting through the class and move on and not do the story justice. Have you ever had a story that stayed with you so long? No, actually. This this is the longest. This is Why the longest. do you think that is? Why why this one? Because I feel because of that a relationship I had with Janelle, because of what attracted me to her character to begin with. You know, because I see things in her that are aspirational personal aspirational values of mine. Like what? Like I mentioned earlier, like taking risks. Like I want to go bungee jumping or skydiving or do those kinds of things. But <laughs> I know a part of me wants to do that. My aspirational self wants to do that. But in reality, I'm the person who, you know, like dreads the ledge of the building, <laughs> you know, because I'm afraid of heights and I have all these fears, you know. And she had a way of confronting those fears, you know. Even with longboarding, despite the scars she incurred, she would push herself and go that extra mile. They would ride all the way from the financial district to New Jersey late at night, her and her best friend. You know, I wouldn't dare to do something like that, maybe in a different life, in a past life, but not my current self. I don't think so. This has been the Delacorte Review Podcast. Our producer is Katie Ferguson, and the theme music that you've been hearing is by Jim Okar. The Delacorte Review appears three times a year, winter, spring, and fall. Issue number one, Five Very Different Stories on the Theme of Home, is now available online at www.delacortereview, that's one word, and Delacorte is spelled D-E-L-A-C-O-R-T-E, review.org, where we publish a new story every week. Or if you want to read all the stories at once, it's also available as an ebook. The review's editor is Mike Hoyt. Senior editor is Sissy Falikant. Associate editors are Abigail Covington and Natasha Rodriguez. Our illustrations are by the wonderful Eleanor Hamelin. We'll see you next week. <laughs>